You'll turn around and a gorilla will have a bucket on its head. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my Raw Safari. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the only podcast that really hates unnecessary letters, the Rasafari Podcast. That's right, y'all. I'm talking about the title of this week's episode, which is a quick reminder that the word is orangutan, not orangutang. You'll also notice that I spell my name J-O-N, so for all you J-O-H-Ns out there, I mean, I'm just saying. Think about how much time in your life you are wasting adding that extra H every time you write your name. (laughs) Okay, and that's going to bring me to another point about this episode. Right away, I am going to warn you that this episode is filled with B-D-E. And I don't mean the term that some of you may be looking up on Urban Dictionary right now. No, friends, I am talking about big dork energy. I don't know what got into me on this one, but I was having a blast and I was laughing at myself a lot. This is a really fun, really goofy interview. And I am yeah, frankly really proud of that fact because I think it's pretty entertaining and I'm, I'm all about entertaining y'all. So I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I do. A couple quick reminders here. Uh, at Rossafari is where to find me on Facebook and Instagram. The new excitement is that I've been posting animal videos on TikTok at Rossafari Pod. And uh, guys, I, I'm too old and not nearly cool enough to be on TikTok. But hey, the animal videos are cool and, and fun. And it's a, it's a great way to show some other stuff that I have, uh, you know, taken at zoos. And, and I don't know, it's, I'm having fun with it, I guess. Um, I don't know that I ever pictured making content of animals mixed with hip-hop music, but hey, whatever. It's what the kids love these days, so I guess I'm going to give myself a side part, wear some baggy jeans, and uh, spend more time on TikTok. I don't know. But if you're on TikTok, like I said, it's at Pod. Now, you may wonder, why at Pod? Well, because after I announced that I was thinking of starting a TikTok and took a poll on it on my Instagram, somebody went and signed up for it as at Rossafari. Weird, right? Uh, hey, whatever. So it's at Rossafari Pod, and I hope that whoever is at Rossafari is enjoying having my handle. It's cool. No worries, folks. It's all good. Now, I just find that kind of thing weird, you know? But um, I guess I shouldn't be surprised because sometimes. People just do weird and and sometimes crappy stuff. And that brings me to the next point I want to make here. And look, I realize that I'm mostly preaching to the choir on this one. I do. But I need to say it. And uh, since I know that I have a lot of keepers that listen to this podcast, I want to make sure that y'all are aware that this kind of thing happens and seems to be happening more lately. You see, twice this week, I was at zoos. Good zoos, reputable zoos, awesome zoos. I'm not going to say names because I don't want anyone to think 
poorly of these facilities, although I can tell you there's no reason that they should with the stories I'm about to tell. But twice I was at amazing zoos that I love in the last week. And the same basic thing happened. The first time I was standing at the Arctic Foxes and I noticed that somebody had thrown a penny in to the Arctic Fox enclosure. And one of the foxes was very interested in it, started pawing at it, started flipping it around a little bit, and then tried to eat the penny. Y'all, toxicity is real, and eating a penny could lead to surgery or death for a fox. As a matter of fact, uh, that's a good fact for all of you pet people out there to know, that uh, any pennies minted after 1982 are not pure copper, but are actually copper around a zinc core, and the stomach acid of many animals can break down the copper and then spread the zinc out through their body, which creates a toxicity that can damage and even kill the animals. Um, one animal that is super susceptible to this is your canids, including your pet dogs. So uh, don't feed your dog pennies. I think that one's pretty obvious. And if your dog happens to decide to eat a penny, then uh, you really need to take it to the vet ASAP. So going back to my zoo story, I did what any person with that knowledge and uh, very little ego would do. And I started yelling and screaming to distract the fox. Not yelling for people, of course, but trying to distract the fox by making really funny high-pitched noises and waving my arms around and getting its attention and calling out to it. And the other people that were there probably thought I was nuts, but hey, that's okay. And while I did that, I also texted one of my friends, who is a keeper at this zoo, and was able to quickly get her to radio for the fox's keepers, and they were able to come and distract the fox and save the day. I will say, though, that the fox had lost interest in me right at the end, and literally, when the keeper showed up, had the penny in its mouth, and nothing I was doing was working anymore. That fox was literally seconds away from injury and surgery or death because the people were being jerks. And seriously, later that week, it happened again. I was at another zoo, and somebody was using Lysol wipes, and hey, I get it, we're in a pandemic, good idea, and dropped one of the Lysol wipes into the otter enclosure. You know, river otters. One of the most curious and interested animals in the whole zoo? Yeah, that one. So... Of course, the otter, one of them, ran over and immediately started playing with it and tried to, you guessed it, shove it in its mouth. So for the second time in a week, I was leaning, in this case, literally over into the exhibit, screaming, making noise, and waving my arms in a distracting manner, making the other guests at the zoo yet again think I was cuckoo banana pants. But scaring the otter off enough that I was able to quickly run and grab a staff member and get the situation resolved. Within three minutes, the otters were pulled off exhibit. The entire area was cleared out by the staff and a member was in there getting that Lysol wipe. I hate to think what would have happened to these two zoos that I love if I hadn't been there. In both cases, those animals were close to some serious trouble. So, I guess my point is, and I realize, like I said, this is a zoo lover podcast. I probably don't have to say this to all of you, 
But if there's one person listening who just thinks zoos are neat and maybe don't really think through everything, do not throw things in with the animals. It is not funny. It is not safe. I do not want to have to keep making a fool of myself just to keep these little goobers alive. Okay? Deal? Deal. All right, cool. Enough about that. And uh, I love you all. Thank you for, for listening to my rant. All right. We are moving on to Primate Week. That's right. This is a great week because it is a great ape week. Today, I am bringing you an interview with Melissa Peterson. Now, you may recognize Melissa's name from Raw Safari After Dark because the first time that this woman and I ever spoke to each other, we talked about bonobos sex in great detail. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, it's hilarious and informative all at once, so go and check that out after you've listened to this one. Melissa is a primate keeper at the Memphis Zoo, and uh, the the great apes and the, the smaller monkeys and, and prosimians and otters that she takes care of. Wait, otters? Otters aren't prime. All right, we'll talk about it in the interview. Anyway, let's just say that this is a lot of fun. Also, Melissa comes from an interesting background. She's a twin. She did not just immediately start studying animal stuff. There's a whole lot going on that's really, really cool, and I am excited to share with y'all. So without further ado, here is my interview with Melissa Peterson from the Memphis Zoo. All right. Well, welcome back. Why don't you uh, tell us who you are, where you work, and what you do there? Okay, I am Melissa Peterson. I am a primate keeper at the Memphis Zoo, um, where I get to take care of three of the four great apes and a mix of small primates and lesser apes and a group of Asian small clawed otters. <laughs> that is right. And uh, you were you were on Raw Safari After Dark, giving us a breakdown of the uh, sex lives of bonobos. So if anybody hasn't heard that yet, make sure you go back and listen because it is... Um, ribald and funny and actually just really interesting um apes are apes are pretty special uh and so that's that's really cool um let's start off though talking about uh, a different kind of primate you um how did you get into this field um so i think that i have a little bit different of a like path of how i got to where i am i feel like i work with a lot of keepers who just knew that that's always what they wanted to do. Um, but I have a long history of working with special needs children and adults. So my um, plan was to go to occupational therapy school and become an OT. Um, and then through college, I kind of went through a few different phases of, okay, well, now I'm going to be a social worker. Now I'm going to do this. Um, but I've always had a connection to animals. And my mom showed me a volunteer um, piece in our local newspaper about the Memphis Zoo volunteer program. And I was like, that's interesting. Um, I had a really big passion for elephants. And, um, and so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to look into this and just see what this is about and see if there's something that I can do. And I actually started volunteering there on our giraffe team um, in college. And then with my career, I kind of just was like, okay, well, these are the classes I have. I'm going to finish with a psychology and sociology degree, but I'm going to become a zookeeper. And it wasn't until I was in my like early twenties that I even like, obviously zookeeping is a job, but it never 
was one of those things that I was like, oh, I can do that. Okay, <laughs> let's see what that's about. Um, so I started volunteering on our giraffe team at the Memphis Zoo through college. And then from there, when I graduated, I went to intern at a place called Riddle's Elephant Sanctuary. And then from there, I went to a place called um, Cleveland Amory's Black Beauty Ranch, which is the largest, most diverse animal sanctuary in the United States. Oh, wow. And Very cool. That's Yeah. And that's kind of where I fell in love with primates. I had no, my plan was like, I'm going to be elephants all the way. And, um, and I had, was just, I saw that posting on AZA and I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to check this out. So I applied and they ended up hiring me on, well, hiring me on as an intern. And I got to work with chimpanzees and a bunch of, um, small monkeys, smaller primates and really fell in love with it. And then from there, I went on to, uh, to intern at our local, well, not really local. It's about an hour outside of Memphis, um, there's a safari park, and I did some volunteer education, animal care stuff out there. Then there was a primate position opening up the Memphis Zoo, and I was like, I'm going to apply for this. And there was also an opening up at the Elephant Sanctuary in Hohenwald, Tennessee, and I applied for that as well. Interviewed for both, was offered Memphis, and took it, and have been in Memphis ever since. Um, working on primates, and then I actually went to our elephant team for a year, and then missed our primates so much that I came back to it. Wow! So you you yeah. officially uh, switched teams, and and your favorite uh, our favorites are primates now. All right, very I cool. did. Yeah, so it good. was really cool working with elephants and rhinos. Um, it was a really awesome experience, and I had a lot of fun times. But it just after working with primates, it just was it wasn't the same. So I'm curious. Do you think that your connection to humans, which are primates, and especially your big heart for special needs kids, um, had anything to do or has anything to do with your connection to the primates that you take care of nowadays? You are spot on. I really think that is where my connection formed with primates. Um, you know, I worked with people on, you know, different ranges of intellectual abilities and the connection that you form with primates as far as, you know, there's not a verbal communication going on there, but um, psychological and emotional and behavioral stuff. And I think that definitely compares to a lot of the individuals that I've worked with where, you know, it's not a verbal communication. You have to figure out how to work with one another without being able to talk. And I think that, I think that definitely played a role in um, why I'm so drawn to primates. And then I also, you know, I have psychology degree and, um, that's a lot of behavior stuff going on there. So I think that I do, I think that really compared um, to what I was doing. That's really cool. That, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, how do you find that your psychology degree helps you with your primates? <laughs> you know, it's an undergrad in psychology. I'm not so sure how much it actually <laughs> helps me, but there is a lot of, a lot of behavior stuff in zookeeping. I mean, just with training in general, um, that leads to, you know, psychology. So I think the behavioral aspect of things that I learned, um, really play a part into training and forming relationships, um, with the primates. That's really cool. Um, and I'm also curious, I know that you are a twin. I am a twin. Yes. yes. She lives in Washington state. She's very far away from me now. Oh, goodness. All right. And, yeah. and what is your, what is your sister's name? Her name is Lauren. Okay. Hi, Lauren. And um, what does she do? So Lauren is actually a certified behavior analyst. So she works with children in homes or in schools and helps develop some of their behavioral needs. 
Um, so she and I actually have a lot of similarities in like using positive reinforcement and um, operant conditioning. So she works with families of and special needs children and um, helps work out some of their behavioral concerns and things that they need help with in school and in home. Very cool. So do you guys uh, powwow sometimes on, on the phone and talk about strategies and, and, um, and, and, you know, compare notes a little bit? We do. We definitely do. Um, I have consulted her several times on some private behavior, um, especially with one of our Gibbons who is very high strong and trying to figure out a way to work him and see what's going on with him. And so I did. I consulted with her on that a lot. And it's very helpful. That's very cool. And uh, do you guys ever, you know, um, when she visits, do you ever let her put on the Memphis Zoo outfit and go hang out with your primates for a day or do the switch at all? <laughs> no, but we joke about it all the time. And I think we could pass it off. I um, My best friend and I actually dated twins briefly in high school. And they 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 tried that move one evening. And oh, yeah. um, we didn't really fall for it, but we were just kind of like, okay, we could. So we each dated each other's, like went on a date with each other's twin for a, an evening. It was very strange, but. That sounds very awkward. Yeah, it, it super was. And we knew it was not like they were not completely um, identical twins, but we were just kind of like, okay, all right, we'll see how this goes. And which shows you the level of uh, connection and, and importance that we all put into that relationships there. It, yeah. it obviously did not last very long. It was very much just a fun high school thing. But yeah, that was that was very entertaining. Do you think that being a twin gives you any unique look at at just dealing with people in general? I don't know, because I don't know what it's like to not be a twin, I suppose. Um, but Fair, fair. Um, I don't know. She and I have a different bond that I've had with, with anyone else. I mean, we are two of four siblings, and we're all really, really close, but there's not the same kind of relationship or same kind of bond um, that I've had with anyone else. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm not sure how it affects my, um, relationships with other people necessarily. I'm okay. So I'm so curious. I'm just being such a nerd about this, but that's kind of what I do. <laughs> um, fine. but has your sister ever visited the zoo with you? Yes. Okay. Yeah, she has. Do your primates show any interesting behaviors towards her? Like, do they recognize her as you or seem closer to her or just no? I don't, I don't think that they, you know, they don't get confused by who's who. Um, I think that they've, when we've played with the certain primates or whatever, they've always seemed really good to her and really, um, it's been like good play sessions and good interactions. Um, so maybe they sense a little something there because sometimes we have primates that don't like new people. Um, maybe the way that we look similar kind of helps out her interactions with them. But yeah, she's definitely visited several times and come behind the scenes with me and gotten to see um, and hang out with our different primates. Nice. Very cool. All right. Um, and then the last question about the twin stuff, and then we'll move on to like, you know, real important stuff here is you said you have two other siblings uh, that are not twins, correct? That's correct. Uh, do you do you find that you guys have a lot in common as far as the interest in behavior and all that stuff as well? Or, or would you say less so? Um, I think that we all we all kind of have a similar, we all have jobs that kind of connect in some way. So my older sister is a counselor. So she works with children and adults as well. Um, my brother is a farmer. So we've connected on a lot of levels as far as animal care goes. And now he actually 
Um, he works with veterans and works with them on farming. Um, so I feel like we, he also works in kind of a, a care facility. And in that connection, we all, we all kind of connect our, our jobs in some way. That's really cool. Um, I, I, do you have an opinion on how much of that is nature versus nurture? I think a lot of it has to do with nurture. We were really, really lucky with, with our parents and how um, kind and genuine that they truly are and also how supportive they've always been of our career choices. And um, I do, I think a lot of that, I think a lot of the way that we were shaped is because of our parents. Very cool. I am insanely fascinated by the whole nature nurture thing. Um, I just, I always have been, I, I'm an armchair psychologist and I just, <laughs> I find it very interesting. But anyway, let's talk aminals. Um, so you are a primate keeper at the, the Memphis Zoo, but you also have otters. Why do you have otters? <laughs> so we have otters because, um, we needed to swap, um, two groups of primates. So, um, several years ago, we had a young uh, Sulawesi macaque who actually uh, escaped her enclosure and was out in the zoo underneath our zoo in some of our um, tunnels and was on the search with her for her for a few days. Um, she was returned safely. She, we were able to get her into a trap. She was safe and healthy. Um, but the decision was made that we should not put her back in that exhibit because even though we made some fixtures, it still seemed kind of like a risk. So we decided to move her to our China exhibit with had more protection. And we brought in another group of Sulawesi macaques to be with her. And then in our China exhibit, there was a pair of white cheeked gibbons and seven Asian small clawed otters. So they said, okay, well, y'all can take the gibbons and the otters and we'll take the macaques. So we ended up with the two gibbons and the seven otters, and the otters ended up in the macaque yard. Nice. Do they get along well? Yeah. Well, they're not. So the macaques aren't with otters, but the oh, gibbons okay. and otters. Say, I, yeah. I, I, okay, I see what you're saying. I'm sorry. I misunderstood what you're saying. So the That's gibbons okay. are with the, the otters, right? They were in China, but okay. we didn't have a yard set up that would accommodate both of them in primates. So our otters ended up in what used to be the macaque yard. Our gibbons ended up in what used to be the Siamang yard, and our Siamangs ended up with the orangutans. <laughs> hey, there you go. Uh, yeah. I'm always amazed at the um, the solutions. Like one animal just got a little frisky and, and a little little smart, and then everything changed. Yeah, that's crazy. So, tell me about what that was like when you were uh, missing an animal for a couple of days. How, how was that for you? So I was actually out of the country. I was in England when I got news that she had gotten out. Oh, no. And it, that was really hard because I was, you know, hours ahead of them. I didn't know um, what was going on in the exact moments. They were busy actually trying to solve the situation, so they couldn't keep me updated every five minutes like I wished I could have been. <laughs> um, so I was, I was super anxious and super worried and just felt like I had no control of the situation because I did not. Um, but I did have a zookeeper friend who was keeping me in the loop as much as she could to let me know what was going on. Well, that's good. You must have been really excited yeah. when uh, that situation was resolved. Definitely. Definitely. We were very, very relieved. Good. That's that's really cool. So you guys have uh, – you said that, that um, you have a, a tunnel system under the zoo? Um, it's kind of like our um, – like – 
we have like a drainage ditch. It's kind of like our drainage tunnels um, that go underneath the zoo. And there's a big um, like ditch that runs through part of the zoo. So she was up in those tunnel systems of the drainage ditch. Gotcha. I had pictured like at the the Capitol, how they have like underground trains and stuff to get to the buildings. And I was like, that's so cool. But that would be uh, really cool. I bet. But yeah. no. no, not that. Not that. Okay. <laughs> such a dork sometimes um oh that's that's such a sweet story though so what um what uh small primates are you dealing with so we have um a group of spotnose gwinnins we have a colobus troop um who live with a paddis troop and then we have um two different groups of lemurs and we have um simangs and white cheek gibbons our lesser apes what was the the spotted uh, well, the spot-nosed Gwinnins. Spot-nosed Gwinnins. I don't think I, I've been to the zoo, so I'm sure I've seen them, but I don't think I, I know what those are offhand. Tell me about them. Oh my goodness! They okay. They are my favorites. I oh, they're that. the ones with the little heart noses. I just yes, yes. I love them yes. so much. Yes, they, tell me all about them. They are my absolute favorite. I adore them so much. Um, so. They are just, they're so interactive. They're so social with us. Um, they just, they mostly have good temperaments. Um, they're one of the few that we actually get to work free contact. Um, so that helps us build a kind of a different relationship with them. Um, but spotnose gwinnins are native to Western Africa. You can find them in um, countries like Ghana. Um, but ours uh, came from a zoo in Richmond, and they've been transferred to Memphis on loan for a little while. So we've had them for probably six, five or six years, I think. And we've had four four babies born at their time here, um, which has always been a lot of fun to watch babies grow up and be a part of, of their lives and train them. But their personalities, I just really love their personalities and the relationship that I've been able to build with them. And the trust that I've been able to build with them, I feel like I've, I've really formed a very strong bond with the group and have been able to train them to do things like uh, voluntary injections for immobilizations and voluntary crating for being able to move. Um, for some reason, they all end up with tail injuries at one point or another. And our adult male allowed me to dip his tail into Nobleson so that oh, wow. um, we could get stuff done so we could get that taken care of and then one of our younger males uh, had a tail injury as well, and he was letting me put um, SSD ointment on that to help it heal. So I feel like I've really been able to form a really strong bond with them, and they are they are my absolute favorites. That's so cool. Oh, they're so beautiful, too. They are. They're precious. What, uh, what do you feed them? So they get um, a lot of vegetables. They get lettuce and um, sweet potato, carrots, corn. Um, what else? They do get some, a little small amount of fruit every day. Um, and then they also get a primate, uh, leaf eater biscuit. Cool. And, um, in a, in a group like that, do you feed them individually or do you just feed for the group? And how do you monitor who's eating and who's not and all that good stuff? So we feed them in a group setting. Um, their AM food is kind of scattered throughout their indoor holding, um, and then their PM food is put into individual bowls. So they get at least one bowl per animal, even though they're not necessarily going to go to an individual bowl or not share one bowl. At least there's less competition for them. Um, we, we tend to notice if someone's not eating because we 
do our cleaning in the morning when we're feeding. So we spend a little bit of extra time in there with them. And we notice if someone seems to be more to be dragging or more tired than usual, or doesn't seem interested in food. Um, but we also, we're pretty good as a team as noticing any weight loss. Um, as far as just visually being able to see, Hey, that animal looks like they might have lost weight. Um, let's, let's get them on the scale and check that out. And we've been successful with, um, getting them all on a scale at one point or other to voluntarily scale for weights. Very cool. And that's something that I think, um, you know, we talk about on here a lot, but I, I, I want to reiterate for people who are, are new to the show. Um, one of the maybe least seen by the public things about keepers that is so amazing is that y'all like really know your animals and you take care of a buttload of different animals, but you, you know them all. Um, often by name as well as, you know, characteristic and, and, and weight and, and all that good stuff. Um, and how, how important is that to you? That, I mean, that's extremely important to me. We, we notice things, we've built relationships with them. We know who's not feeling good based off of their behavior. Um, and I can walk into the spot nose yard and see one sitting there and be like, okay, there's something wrong with that spot nose. We need to figure out, we need to keep an eye on that. Um, and it's, it's important to me because I need to know that I'm providing the best animal care that I possibly can for these guys. Um, and it's important for them because we need to make sure that they get prompt animal care um, from our veterinarian when possible. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, do you have any other free contact uh, primates that you get to work with? Our lemurs. We go in with our lemurs. We have two groups. We have um, black and white rough lemurs and we have a group of red rough lemurs. Oh, and we're wow. able to go in with them. Okay. Yeah. Those are um those are two really amazing species. I, I haven't gotten to hang out with uh the black and white, but I've hung out with some red ruffed and some uh ringtail lemurs and uh yeah. they're such fun animals. Tell me about your lemurs. So I like our lemurs, but they are not my area of passion, I suppose I would say. We have another keeper who's really into the lemurs and really enjoys working them with them. Um, so we all kind of have just our different areas that we're really drawn to. So fortunately, someone is drawn to the lemurs. Um, I do enjoy my time with them. They they are pretty quirky. The way that they lay around a lot of times reminds me of cats. So they, they make me laugh. Um, our female black and white rough is very moody and does not like me. Um, so <laughs> I actually will not work her free contact because I don't want to risk being slapped or anything like that. There's no point in and riling her up if I don't have to. So I avoid working her free contact. So how do you, how do you do that then? How do you change if it's a free contact yard and everything? How do you do protected contact with one animal? So I don't, there's not really a need to go onto exhibit with them for free contact. Um, if there was, I could go out there with backup or send another keeper who she's better with out there right, to right. do it. Um, but inside she shifts really easily for me. So I can shift her into the back hall, go in and clean her room, set it up with food, um, and then shift her back in. And her, her mate is in there and he is just, he's just very plain and he's very sweet, but very simple. So I don't really have any issues with him. So I'll, I'll go in there with him and then he's fine. And then I'll put her back with him when, once I'm done setting up their room. Cool. That makes sense. Um, and yeah, and tell me about your red rough lemurs. They're one of my favorite lemur species. 
They are super, super quirky, I feel like. Um, they're very social. They're very up in your business. They want to know what you're doing. They want to know what's in your hands. They want to mess with the brooms. They, they just want to do pretty much anything. They want to be involved in pretty much anything that you're doing. Um, and we have a young one who's a couple of years old who is definitely into everything that we're doing, um, which is really fun. Like they, they really are very quirky um, and very, very cool animals. And our keeper who, um, like I said, is really drawn to the lemurs has done a really good job with training them. She trained our female, female lemurs, I've learned are pretty moody. She trained our female red ruff, uh, for voluntary injections so that if we need to get hands on her that way, then she'll allow someone to stick her with a needle, um, instead of having to worry about running into a crate or doing anything that might stress them out. That's really cool. Uh, for all of these uh, free contact primates that we're talking about right now, what uh, what kind of enrichment do you guys provide? Um, so they get they get most everything that the other guys get as well. Um, we do kongs, we do bottles, um, we do raisin boards. We have to make things a little bit more simple for the lemurs than we do, like say the spot nose, because the spot nose will get their hands onto anything, um, and the <laughs> lemurs are not quite. Um, as agile as them, as far as getting like small pieces out. So we do have to make things a little bit more simple for them. Like I would put, um, raisins like further into a raisin board or further into like one of our enrichment items. Whereas with the lemurs, I would put it like right on top so that they have to do less work and, and can figure it out. Like they're smart for their species, but they, um, they need a little bit easier enrichment I'd say than the other guys. Yeah, that makes sense. That's, that's okay. That's okay. Um, don't worry. No lemurs are going to listen to this. I don't think anyone's going to be anyone's going to be insulted. I appreciate how PC you're being about all of this. But. Uh, yeah, all you lemur keepers out there, they're cool, but not 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 one hundred percent my thing. <laughs> and I think I think that's important. I mean, that's true. You know, with everything. I mean, we all have our things that we're more and less passionate about, says the guy with like three red pandas and a stuffed panda <laughs> directly behind his wall and one on his shirt. You know, yeah. we, we all have our things. Um, yeah. So before we get to the, the, the bigger apes, um, the Memphis Zoo is huge and it's really beautiful and y'all have some really really cool and unique exhibits. And I'm curious, outside of your own area, what is your favorite part of the zoo and why? Ooh, that's a that's a good question. Um well, I've always I've always really liked to go to elephants and pachyderms before I worked with them. That was always one of the areas that I would like to go and see um, you know, during lunch breaks or time off or whatever. Um, but we, we do, we have some really awesome exhibits and, um, like our nocturnal house is also really cool. We have some really, really amazing species in there. So I know it's not there anymore, but y'all had a pangolin on display for a while. We did. And it is really well known in the zoo world that the only place to see pangolins is at Brookfield on display. Um, and so I was visiting the Memphis Zoo with a friend who is also a complete nerd about animals and, and loves pangolins. And um, we went into the nocturnal house and we turned the corner and I was like, what kind? What? No. <laughs> and we both like, it was hard to not scream, even though, you know, we want to be quiet in the, in the, in the nocturnal house and stuff. And <laughs> yeah, it's a really cool, I know that's also where the, uh, the Binturong lives and what else is in there? There's some really cool animals in there. 
There are some really cool animals in there. We have sloths, kinkajous, bush babies. Um, we have, what else do we have in there? We have uh, potos. Yes, that's right. You called. guys have potos. You're, no, that is. Yeah, they're yeah, awesome. That is right. In their little, they little are... fake pouch things that they, they sleep in. <laughs> yes. And we more recently, we have a ring tail, I think is what it's called. Okay, yeah, the ringtail. Um, they're native to Arizona areas mm-hmm. and out west. Yep, yep. Um, they, uh, they're often called the ringtail cat, if you're listening, but yes, they're not actually. Yes. They are just ringtails. Yeah. Yes. So we actually got a ringtail in um, from a confiscation case uh, from Mississippi, and, and they ended up contacting us to go get him, and we decided to house him in Nocturnal. Um, and we also recently got cloud rats, which are really cool. Um, they kind of just look like a little panda mixed with a rat there those are pretty cool too <laughs> yeah i really like those a lot that's it's very cool yeah the the um it's very easy if you're at the memphis zoo if you take a trip to the memphis zoo make sure you catch the nocturnal house it's easy to miss um it really is there's there's lots of cool animals that you can see you know, outside and it's kind of in a, like the building almost looks like a natural rock formation type thing. And it's, okay. it's, it's kind of easy to miss if you're not paying attention, but it's one of the coolest places anywhere. It's, it's really got a u- unique, uh, bit of tax in it. It really does. And I kind of feel like it's a little underappreciated, but I think that a lot of, I don't think that people who typically go into the animal house realize that they're looking at something really cool and they don't know like how endangered this species is and how important it is. Um, so I feel like in a way it's not intentionally underappreciated, but I feel like um, we need to get the word out there a little bit more about what, what cool stuff is actually really happening in there. Absolutely. It is, it is awesome in there. Um, and then the other thing that I really love in at your zoo, I mean, there are many, many things, but um, your wolf pack is incredible. And yeah, they every, are. They're pretty cool. Every time I've been there, they come running right up to me uh, at their little, there's a little like fence area where you can get pretty close. Not like, you know, I mean, they're still very protected and everything, but, yeah. and they come right up and like vie for attention. And I have all these pictures of just like a wolf snoot trying to touch my phone <laughs> as I reach it out. And it's, uh, that is a very cool area there. Yeah. The Teton and Northwest Passage areas are really beautiful. You know, those are our more recent um, exhibits and areas that were built. Um, and the openness of Teton Trek, where you can just walk through, you see the grizzlies, you see the elk, you see the wolves. Um, is a really cool design, I think. Yeah, beautiful exhibits. Absolutely. All right. It's time to hit some primates again, some some of the big ones. So um, we have tackled bonobos and heard all about them tackling each other. Um, is there anything you wanted to say about your bonobos other than their sex life stuff, anything that, that we didn't cover in that, uh, that episode. They, bonobos are really, really cool. Um, and they all have very, very different personalities. Um, but they all are, they're very social animals and they're very social with us and they really seem to like interacting with us. And, um, it's been, it's been really fun to work with them. Um, I've never worked with great apes other than the chips. And so then I came to Memphis and we didn't have chimps. We had orangutans, gorillas, and bonobos. Um, and it's been kind of fun to learn the differences um, between bonobos and chimpanzees. Um, and they, like I said, they're very, very social. We have a female and a, well, so we have four adult females and three baby boys. Well, I shouldn't say babies. They're about to be five, six, and seven. Um, <laughs> but our six-year-old is, he's, 
he's kind of, he's very special. He and his mom are both very special in their temperaments and their, um, the ways that we can interact with them. They're not as, we have a one bonobo that you, she's just always plotting something. I mean, I know she is. And she'll make you think that she's trustworthy and you just know that whatever you're going to do next, you better be careful because she's going to try to, she's going to try to get you or do something to you. Um, but Lily and Npingo are both, they're both very, very sweet. And, um, they've been, they've been, um, you know, one of my, some of my favorite bonobos over there. Lasala, who's the one who likes to plot things is also a favorite just because of her personality. I like, I like her, her quirkiness and her, you never know what you're going to get. Yeah, I totally get that. I, I find that, you know, in theory, it would make sense to always like the sweeter animals and the ones that are more. Uh, easy to take care of or just get along with, um, more personable, if you will. But I find that, at least for me, it's just the big personalities that I like. I don't care if they're big in a sweet way or big in a ridiculous way. Um, I just like knowing the personality and being able to see it all the time. That is, regardless of species, that is something that I just love. I kind of feel the same way. I feel like I've always been drawn to the more challenging animals, um, as well as, you know, you're right, like the bigger personalities, whether that's because you're really sweet or because you're always up to something. And so you kind of have your favorites for different reasons, like Lillian and Pingo. They're so sweet. You have a different relationship with them. And then LaSalle is just a mess. She's just a hot mess. But, you know, you got to recognize her and love her for who she is. Um, but yeah, I feel the same way. Absolutely. Very cool. Um, and then let's touch on your gorillas a little bit. Uh, tell me, tell me about your gorilla troop. So gorillas have also become one of my favorites and they were the first ones that I was really, really drawn to, um, when I first started working at the zoo and I mean, they've stayed one of my favorites for sure. Um, so we have a troop of an adult male and three adult females. Um, we have a mother daughter pair who came to us from San Diego and then our other female came to us from Buffalo, um, but the group's been together probably for 11 or 12 years now. Um, and they do really, really well. Um, they, they have their own quirkiness and personalities and, um, they have kind of a quiet sense of humor. So where the bonobos are out there, they're showing you how goofy they are all the time. You'll turn around and a gorilla will have a bucket on its head. You know, <laughs> like they don't, they don't make like a big deal out of it, but they, they still have their like, you know, their quiet, funny sense of humor. That's hilarious. Um, tell me about the uh, the individuals. So Moelu is our silverback, and he is a he's become a very sweet guy. Um, he's also moody, but his mood his temperament has gotten a lot better over the years, I think. Um, but he has been with us probably. I think he was the first one brought in before the girls were. We used to have a bachelor troop, and then they were sent to different facilities and we got in a breeding troop, um, which we've never had any success in breeding. Um, Moelu, like I said, he's moody. Um, and he doesn't seem to be attracted to female gorillas. He seems to be attracted to human men, um, which kind of messes up our breeding situation for that. Um, Moelu really likes to watch TV. He likes to watch things, um, that have a man in a suit or a large crowd. Um, so, you know, like Joel Olstein has got all of that. He's got the suit. He's got the crowd. Like, boy, it was all about some Joel Olstein. <laughs> oh, man. There's just something so beautiful about the uh, notion of a um, uh, possibly gay gorilla uh, being really into <laughs> Joel Osteen that I just I just can't wrap my head around. This is definitely a, a different kind of different kind of um, animal. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's amazing. Um, Wow, I love that you just know that he likes men in suits too. That's that's so interesting. He, he seems to, to like. I mean, he likes men. He likes men with beards, really. But I mean, I definitely see it. You know, his reaction different. Like if you have a man who's just dressed in casual clothes, or if you see a man walk up really, really, really well dressed, and you know he gets a, a low grumble, you know, directed towards him. Um, but yeah, he's he's not he's not shy about who he likes. That's amazing. And then then tell me about the ladies. So then um, Quizera, she's our oldest and our largest female. Um, she's the one who came to us from Buffalo. She has kind of a very more nervous personality. Um, she's a little bit more standoffish than the other girls um, as far as like, I guess she gets spooked a little bit easily. So when you're working with her, you have to watch your hand movements and how fast you're moving um, because it, you know, it makes her nervous. She jumps a lot. Um, but she, she can also be really cool. Like the relationship you get to form with her, the trust that you get to build with her. Um, it's been really cool for me to, to get to be a part of that. Uh, some days she still is moody and other days, you know, we're great, but Quizera tends to not like men. Um, so a few of our, our male keepers that have come and gone, she's, you know, she's done well with some, but some she's, you know, she's got sticks ready to, to line up sticks. So when they walk by, you know, she can just start, you know, poking her sticks at them. Like (laughs) she, yeah, she's, she does that. She does, she does plan her, some of her, um, her actions, but she seems to be, yeah, she seems to have a harder time getting warmed up to, to male keepers. Um, and then we have Penny and Kabara, who are mother and daughter. Um, they came to us from San Diego and Penny is, um, Penny's the mom and she is, she's a pretty sweet gorilla too. I mean, you, you have to watch all of them cause you never know what, what they're going to do, but she's pretty sweet. Um, she does like attention and I think mostly she likes attention cause she wants the reward that comes with it. She's like, okay, give me attention. What are you going to feed me? <laughs> um, but she's very, uh, She's kind of a rock star with training. Like she seems to catch on to training a lot quicker than the other two. Um, or at least she shows us that she's catching on more quickly than the other two. Um, so she's she's fun. She has a really hard time with new keepers that are women. She does not like women in her territory. Um, I think she's she wants to make sure that nobody gets her man. Um, even though he's not interested in her, she doesn't want, you know, she doesn't want anyone coming in and being interested in him. So she typically gives new keepers a hard time for a while. Uh, she stays puffed up and tight-lipped and will bang on the mesh at them. Um, but then once she warms up to you, it's it's a completely different relationship. And then her daughter is Kabara. And Kabara is just, she's just motivated by food. You can get Kabara to do almost anything with food. And she just cracks me up. Kabara is, I always tell people she's a toad. To me, she looks like a toad. She's got this, like, short, stocky, like, weird build. And it's, so Penny is a very petite gorilla. So I think Kabara got some of her shortness from Penny. But then I guess whatever her bulkiness her dad had, she also got that too. So her her build is just a very stocky build. But I'm always like, Kabara, you just look like a toad. <laughs> just like her face and everything. Um, but she's super motivated by food. And she'll come up and she'll start throwing her stomach or her chest or her, her shoulder or whatever she can against the mesh to show you like, hey, you know, here's my shoulder. Now give me a treat. Like, where's my peanut? Like, very food motivated. Um and Kabaras are actually most dominant female. And Moilu did not like Penny when they were first introduced, but he really liked Kabara. 
Um, so I think that's how Kabara earned her dominance level is because he really liked her. Um, and then Penny and Kabara related. So I think Penny backs up Kabara and then Quizera came in unrelated, you know, um, didn't know the other two. And Penny wants to make sure that Quizera stays below her. So she's like, okay, Penny's like, well, if I can't be dominant, I'll support my daughter, but I'm definitely not going to the bottom of the list. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's an interesting dynamic they've got going on. That is interesting. And I'm curious, um, you know, obviously you can't be in with gorillas and um, they are uh, big animals that can do a lot of damage to um, humans and each other. Um, how do you handle introductions like that? Um, do you mean like introductions between gorillas? Yes. Yeah. Like, like as you introduced, um, okay. Lu to the, the ladies. So that was actually before my time. So I was not there for that. So I'm not 100% sure how it went. I'm sure that the two of them were, were put together with him first. And then, um, I know that he was causing some injuries to Penny. So it actually got to the point where they stopped putting him and Penny together and he and Kabara would get to, sp- Kabara would spend time with him and then she would spend time with Penny, um, to make sure that everyone was staying socially and mentally healthy that way. And then the decision was made to bring Quizera in and add a third female to the group. And that actually helped things um, because if he's being too hard on one female, all of the girls were getting together and go up against him. So it helped take the pressure off of Penny because she had backup. She had more backup at that point. Um, so it, it's kind of interesting to hear back about how that was, but I wasn't actually a part of it. That is interesting, though. That's that's very, very cool. Um, yeah, all right. So now we're going to get to a species that I, I'm really excited to hear about. I've actually wanted to have somebody who works with them on my podcast for a while. Um, I am just fascinated by orangutans. And first of all, why do people call them orangutans with a G at the end? I don't get it. I I don't either. I really don't either. I don't know where that came from, and I don't know why people do it. It's it it's one of those things where it's like very annoying at first, and then finally you're just like, whatever. You can just call them that. <laughs> it's fine. If I know you, I'm going to cor- correct you. But if I'm passing by somebody at the zoo who's calling them that, I'm, I may or may not say, hey, actually, it's a ring of tans, not a ring of tangs, or. I'll just let it go. It, it's such a commonly used phrase, or it's not even a phrase. It's just a misspeak. It's a commonly misspoken word that um, it slips out of my mouth once in a blue moon. And I'm like, yeah. I know what's right. And I care. And I'm I'm like you. I'm one of those people who will, I'm a big fan of being like, you know, somebody's like, oh, look at the orangutans. And I'm like, yeah, orangutans are really cool. And just that slight pause, just hoping it lands. But, you know, um, yes. Yeah, so tell me about the orangutans at the Memphis Zoo. So we have two adult females, and we have an adult male, and we have a, um, well, I'm going to call him a baby. He's going to, I think he's going to be four. Um, and they're, they are, so gorillas, they're kind of up front with you. You know what you're about to get. Bonobos are the same way. Orangutans will plot more, and they'll, I think they'll be like, they'll think about what they're doing, and then later they're going to react on it. You may not get their reaction right away. Um, so I think it's it's kind of scary cool that they really they plan things out, I think. Um, they are the they are the most destructive of our enrichment, especially our mom and baby. They take down stuff all the time that we work so hard to get up. Um, so Tom Beck is our adult male, and he is very finicky, very moody as well. Um, he doesn't 
always like everyone. One of our um, keepers now, uh, curators, he is not a big fan of her for some reason. They have a, like, she has a good working relationship with him, but he's, he's given her the hardest time out of most anybody. And, um, which is pretty funny because I don't, you know, there's, she's worked with him the longest. I don't know why he has this thing against her, but he also tends to like her better when she's wearing a facial mask. So since COVID, I think that their relationship's gotten better because he hasn't had to look at her face as much, but they have, right? (laughs) right. They have a good, they have a working relationship. Um, but for some reason he gives her a little bit harder of a time than others with me. Um, it's kind of hit or miss. Some days he likes me, some days he doesn't. Our relationship is built a lot on bribery, um, <laughs> which, you know, if it works, it works. Um, and then we have other keepers who he's just perfect for, you know, you don't, I don't know what it is, why he's, he's particular about who he likes, but he can be. And then we have Jahe and Rowan. And like I said, they're mother and son. Um, Jahe is kind of a rock star trainer. She wants to do whatever she can to, to get a reward out of you. And, um, she picks up on things really, really quickly. She's very, very smart. Um, and then her son Rowan is just a big old mess. I mean, he's being, he's, I always say like, I always want to call him bad, but I'm like, he's not bad. He's a baby orangutan, you know, like he's doing what baby orangutans do. And, um, but he is just, he's just full of mischief. Like he, like I said, he's always taking something down that we've put up. He's always trying, um, to tear something up like the other day, like some branch was in their yard for some reason. He pulled it up over like our uh, big moat and was messing with that. Or he'll try to throw stuff from across the exhibit. Like he's just, he's always into something or always being destructive. And it keeps us on our toes because we're always trying to figure out ways to keep him entertained and to keep him um, to be less destructive. Um but he's just a mess. But Rowan, so Rowan actually ended up having to be delivered by C-section, which is a really cool, cool story that I got to be a part of. So um, Jahe, she was doing really well through her pregnancy. She went into labor and labor stopped progressing. And the decision was finally made that we needed to get hands on her and we needed to get him out in order for them to both be okay. So we were able to get hands on her. We got her to our zoo hospital um, a C-section was performed by a human OBGYN, actually. Wow, um, he came that's in cool. and a, Yeah. He came in and assisted a veterinarian. Um, and there was Rowan. So we got Rowan, and we actually had to hand-raise Rowan for two weeks um, while Jai had time to recover. Um, and we... It was a, like, you don't want to have to hand-raise primates. You want them to be mother-raised. But it was, it was a really cool once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that I was really lucky to be a part of. Um, and like I said, we kept him for two weeks while Jahe recovered from her C-section, but we kept him in the orangutan waiting during the day and we brought him up to our hospital at night. So we wanted to make sure he was around her as much as possible when they were awake um, to make sure that they were forming that bond. And um, I always felt like Jahe was judging me like, hey, you are doing this wrong. You need to give me that baby. Um, I just always felt slightly judged, but um and then we we. Put I don't know them if that together. says more about your psyche or the psyche of your <laughs> orangutan, but I'll I'll leave right. that one up to uh, to you to decide. <laughs> yeah. Um. So then we put him in a big pile of wood wool and opened the door and let her go in there and grab him and she picked him up. She put him on her head randomly, but was like <laughs> inspecting him thoroughly. And then she was just a good natural mom. She did such a good job, and um, it's been an amazing an amazing story for them because. Um, 
C-section, orangutan C-section, raising a baby, getting them back together successfully. Like, it's a big deal. Yeah, that's um, really awesome. So that was really awesome. And then we had Chicky, and Chicky is our oldest orangutan. And Chicky and Jahe do not get along. So we actually run them in separate groups. Um, Chicky is just a sweet old lady. You can't always trust her. Sometimes she'll try to get you. Um, but she really, she likes to play. She like well, she likes to do what I call dancing, where she just like wiggles her whole body around. <laughs> Sometimes she'll lay on her back and like put her feet up in the air or give you a stick to tickle her with. Um, she's very playful, um, really seems to like keep her interaction. Um, but Chicky has a history of living with Simangs successfully. Um, so we had a really old lady Simang when I first started. Her name was Debbie. And she was actually being too rough on her male um, companion. So they removed her from him and decided to introduce her to Chicky. And she and Chicky, I guess, kind of hit it off. And Chicky did really well with her. You would see them, like, sitting next to each other or with their arms around each other. It was a really, really Aww. sweet relationship. And Debbie lived to be, like, 45 or something ridiculous. Very, very long time um, before she passed. And then... When we brought those gibbons over from China into the Simang yard, we needed to have a place for the Simangs to go. So we decided that, hey, she's li- Chicky's lived with Simangs before. Let's see, you know, what we can do. And so we decided her to introduce her to that group and or the, that pair. And she did really well with them. Um, and the, the more time goes on, the more I feel like I've seen them form kind of more of a relationship. I still don't see the same relationship that she had with Debbie, but they definitely have a more trusting relationship of being closer together. Um, And that's really, really cool to see for them. That is, that's really awesome. Um, Oh, I love that. That's so cool. And you got to help hand raise an orangutan baby. That's so cool. I feel like, I feel like every keeper is, um, you know, whether they'll admit it or not, secretly hopes that someday something will happen where they are able to intercede. Not that they ever want there to be a problem and need to hand raise, but also like, if it has to happen and I get to do this once, it would kind of be a dream. Plus you're literally saving the animal. It's not like, it's not like the baby would have made it if it was just left to its own devices at that time. So um, yeah, that's really cool. It was. It was really cool. Are there any other uh, specific animals or or species that you take care of that you wanted to touch on for for any reason? Anything you think would be awesome for the pod? Hmm. Let me think. So, yeah, I guess um, we have a mixed species exhibit of colobus and patus monkeys, um, which is fun. Uh, We had, when I first started, we had a troop of colobus and uh, two baboons that lived next to each other, and they alternated days of when they went outside. Um, then we lost our male baboon and we had our female baboon who was alone and we were debating on what to do with her cause she was older and we didn't know that we wanted to risk sending her out. Um, and then the colobus SSP was like, we put colobus together with all kinds of species, just throw them together, see what happens. And we were like, okay. So we did. And it was pretty good. And there were a lot of times that Lisa baboon would make sure that a colobus was in their place as long as they weren't, you know, make sure they weren't messing with her. Um, so that was really cool. And then Lisa um, passed, and we had a group of Pattis monkeys that were originally in Zambezi, but they needed to be moved. And so they came over to the Colobus building. And um, again, the SSP was like, just throw them together. It'll be fine. And we threw them together, and it was fine. <laughs> um, so we have we have Pattis and Colobus together in a mixed species exhibit. They separate overnight. Um, they kind of avoid each other. You know, Pattis stay... They, they stay in different areas. I was going to say Pattis stay kind of terrestrial, but 
I see our paddocks up high very often, but they, they stay in different areas and don't interact a whole lot. Um, but it's still cool to see them together and have a, that kind of mixed species exhibit. I love mixed species exhibits. That's really awesome. And I love that the SSP is so darn good at just being like, you know, um, yeah, no, this works and we know this. And yeah, the, uh, the ACA is a pretty darn cool organization for a lot of reasons. That is definitely true. They've, they've got it together. They've got a lot of good programs in place and um, things done to make sure the animals get the best care possible. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about uh, PASA for a minute. You volunteer for PASA, correct? I do. Tell, tell um, us about that. So uh, PASA is uh, Pan-African Sanctuary Alliance. They're kind of an umbrella organization for 23 sanctuaries in Africa. Um, and I learned about them. I think I first learned about them when I was at a gorilla workshop in Guadalajara, which was really cool. Nice. Um, and found out, read more about the, the organization and realized what they were doing and how, how really cool it was because they weren't just focusing on one species, but they had different sanctuaries with a variety of different animals that they were focusing on. And um, I was always so interested in their different sanctuaries, but volunteering for them is kind of, it's kind of difficult, you know, wanting to go there and do hands-on stuff is a little bit harder if you're not making a long-term commitment. Um, and it wasn't something that I was really able to do and, you know, in my time, cause I'm at the zoom working there, um, and enjoying it. But I reached out to their um, director because I, I used to be president of our Memphis ASAC. And so I kind of formed a relationship with Greg, who's their, um, their director um, through ASAC, and then um, decided that I really wanted to learn more about them on a personal level. So I reached out to him and just said, hey, like, I'd really like to volunteer with you guys remotely. Like, what, what, is, it that, um, what is it that you need? And they were saying, he said, you know, we've really wanted to write handwritten thank you letters to all of our donors. We just feel like it's more personable, um, but we need someone who can do it. And I was like, okay, I can do that for sure. So that was, uh, I don't know, a little over two years ago um, when I started doing that. And um, so it's just a small part of volunteer work for them. Um, but it is, it's really cool to see, to know how many donors they're getting and how much support they're getting and being able to be a small part of, of showing them gratitude for that because it's, Every little bit is very helpful for that organization. That's very cool. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan. I had never heard of them. And then I did an episode uh, with a primate keeper, Tiffany James, at Knoxville. And uh, she told me all about them because she also volunteers. And um, very cool organization. As a matter of fact, um, you know, if you think Greg might be willing to talk to me or have someone talk to me for the podcast, I, I would love to. I've been doing more episodes about uh, conservation organizations. So I, I would love to, if I can abuse you for that connection, that would be pretty cool. It's time for Interrupting. 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 Interrupting, Interrupting John. Just wanted to let y'all know that Melissa was awesome and did hook me up with that connection. And PASA is awesome, and you will be hearing all about them on Thursday's episode. Synergy! Yay! Okay, back to the interview. And then the other uh, the other organization that I wanted to talk to you about was uh, or is called um, Exceptional Connections. So tell me about that. 
So um, Exceptional Connections International is a nonprofit that my sister, my twin sister, Laura, and I created. Um, I think we officially established it in 2015. Um, but we go to other countries and work with their schools and work with them on how to work with special needs children. Um, we found that the organizations that we worked with, they have a heart and a passion for um, these children, but they kind of are at a standstill of what to do because their education is not, they don't have the same services that we can provide in the United States. And so we try to go there and we try to provide those services for them. Um, so we listen to their needs and we try to form teams to travel with us in order to meet those needs. Um, so we have a, we have, so we're an education based nonprofit. So we bring professionals over with us, um, instead of, you know, people who just want to travel. We want to make sure when we're going over there, we have a specific purpose. Um, we're not just there being in the way, I suppose. So, um, we only take professionals with us and we, like I said, we have a partner in Haiti. We have a partner in Kenya. Um, our partners in Kenya have started an inclusive school. So they have both special needs students and, um, typical students. And we've gone over there and we've brought, um, we've worked with them with a physical therapist, with a speech pathologist, my sister, who's a, um, behavior analyst, and she used to be a, a SPED teacher as well. Um, so we went over there and we kind of helped them get, you know, give them some advice and some ideas and some direction, um, and right now we're doing um, Zoom meetings with them regularly because obviously we haven't been able to go over there because of COVID, um, which have been really successful and the teachers have really seemed to enjoy. Um, so Tabasamu Watoto Inclusive Center is the program that we work with in Kenya. And like I said, they have a school, but their program is is more than just the school. The teachers that work through the program are from teachers all over Kibera, um, which is the community that they live in. And so he's got teachers from all over um, his community that want to better educate their students and figure out how. So we do Zoom meetings um, monthly to, do, to talk about different topics. So that's been really awesome. And then our partner in Haiti, it's outside Port-au-Prince, she actually moved to Haiti seven or eight years ago um, and created her own children's home. So she is a children's home. She has, she has girls only because they can, you know, they'll live the, you know, their young lives with her. And as they get older, having boys and girls together gets a little bit, you know, messy. So she's focused on um, being a children's home for girls. Um, and she's had two special needs children who've come to live with her, but she's also realized the need for special needs individuals in her community. And she decided to start a school. Um, but she, she knew she had the heart and the passion for it, but she felt like she didn't have um, the, the materials to go about it. And so we've started working with her on that and teaching her teachers, um, you know, like this is a better way to communicate with them or this is how, you know, we think that it'll work better for them to listen, you know, change their behavior this way. Um, so that's been a really cool partner that we've formed as well. Wow, that's awesome. How long have you been doing that? Um, so we've been, we were established as a nonprofit in 2015. Um, so I guess we've been doing it for about six years. Wow. So you really like all the primates, even the human ones. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I really do. That's really awesome. It's time now, don't you know? We've come to the end of the show. The 
there's one tale left to go. You're gonna laugh and say, oh no. It's time for the Rossifari Poop Story. Hit me. So, gorillas throw poop. That's just, that's just something that they do. Um, when they're irritated, that's, you know, that's what they tend to grab for. Um, but when our gorillas haze new people, um, some people are lucky and don't have to go through hazing, but I was not one of those people. <laughs> I had to go through a couple of months of hazing before they accepted the fact that I was going to be there. Um, so it wasn't uncommon for me to get poop thrown at me on a regular basis. Um, but I do remember one night I was closing and, um, one of our gorillas had, she had diarrhea and so, and she was mad at me. And so I ended up with both poop and pee on me that evening. Fortunately, I was closing. Uh, so I was getting to go home as soon as I finished getting them in. But she did pee and then she threw her pee at me, actually. <laughs> yeah. So I've never heard of, of a poop. pee flinging. That's exciting. Quizari's done that towards me a few times, actually. Um, it's not been any time recently, but it was that was one of those times. Yeah. So I ended up leaving that day with poop and pee on me. Lucky that it's only like a 15-minute drive home. Right. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been really, really fun. Yeah. Thanks for asking me to join. Of course. Well, there you have it, folks. What an interesting and awesome human being Melissa is. Uh, yeah, definitely one of those primates that I really like, unlike some of the other humans, like the ones I mentioned in the intro. But hey, that's okay, right? So, as I mentioned in my Interrupting John segment, uh, Primate Week will be continuing on Thursday with an interview from PASA that you're not going to want to miss. So, make sure you've clicked subscribe and are following along on all the socials at Ross Safari. You can also check out the Memphis Zoo at memphiszoo.org and at Memphis Zoo on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, it has come to my attention that some people say that I say the word bonobos weird. I feel like I don't, but hey, I'm okay with that. I'm okay being taught things. All I know is that I weirdly put the accent on the S, which I guess is admitting that, yes, I do say it weirdly. But it had me having a lot of fun by saying bonobos Bonobos, bonobos, which I guess is what it is, bonobos, and bonobos, 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 bonobos. How do you say it? Let me know. Words are fun. All right, y'all. It is time for the Stiderk. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed making it. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan Burke and John Rossi. Listen and subscribe on any podcast app. Please take the time to leave a review as it helps other people find our podcast. You can find Rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rossafari, on the web at Rossafari.com, or email me directly at Rossafaripod at gmail.com. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.